Alright, hello everybody. Today is Wednesday, and on Wednesdays this year I've been doing a regular segment about the Long Island serial killer. But just a couple of quick announcements before we begin. To those of you who follow the Zodiac Killer episodes on this channel, I will be devoting the Anything Goes Friday segment to the Zodiac mystery. Yes, any subject is fair game, but I wanted to do a special book discussion on Micro Deli's The Hunt for Zodiac. And if you're new to the channel and you want to follow along with all of these true crime cases, as well as any subject under the sun or in the darkness, I invite you to hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. And if you'd like to download the audio version of this program, you can go over to Launchpad 1. There's a link to that in the description box. You can download the audio version, take it on the go, anywhere and anyhow. If you would like to download the video version, you can use YouTube Premium, but that one you have to pay for. Launchpad 1 is free. And another great way to help support all of these efforts is to go over to buymeacoffee.com under the name BlackboxNet88. But the easiest way to find everything is just by going into the description box. At buymeacoffee.com, you can make a contribution to help support this show. And if you do so, you will get a special shout-out on Zodiac Mondays. So to talk about the Long Island serial killer mystery, this is a very difficult case to explore. And... I think the reason is because we don't truly know when the Long Island serial killer first started operating and when the crimes ended. It is really just some educated guessing, and as well as relying on the pieces of information that law enforcement chooses to reveal to the general public. Today I'm going to be discussing the case of Amber Lynn Costello, who is the final victim in the Gilgo Four, who are perhaps some of the more famous victims of the Long Island serial killer. And more or less what the popular perception of the case is, that back in 2010, they were looking for a woman named Shannon Gilbert, and they stumbled upon a serial killer graveyard. But in reality, the authorities knew for years that a serial killer was operating and dumping the bodies. They called this person the Manorville Butcher. But what they did not know was the extent of the serial killer's activities. And now we see that Maybe there are two serial killers, maybe there are more. I'll be discussing these theories throughout the episode. But just in case you haven't heard any of the previous segments, I would like to remind you guys that they have been made into a playlist on this channel about the Long Island serial killer. And real fast, let's talk about some of the previous victims. Even though we don't know 100% who the first victim of the list was, one of the possible first confirmed victims is the Fire Island Jane Doe, who was murdered in 1996. Not a lot is known about her, but actually, in fact, when two people were out walking, they just stumbled upon her legs, and for the longest time, they, those were the only remains that they had of the Fire Island Jane Doe, but years later, they were able to locate her skull, and that's why we have the composite sketch drawing of what she may have looked like. And then, in 1997, the Long Island serial killer would murder Peach's Jane Doe, as well as her daughter Baby Doe, and Baby Doe and Peach's Jane Doe would be separated. Peach's Jane Doe was mutilated, cut up, and her body was placed into a trash can, and they were separated at burial sites. Now, that's in 97. In 2000, the Long Island serial killer would murder Valerie Mack, and Valerie Mack would be dumped 200 yards, roughly, from where Baby Doe was dumped. And some people are just thinking, what in the world was this person doing going to such an important effort to separate 
baby doe from Peaches Jane Doe, and then three years later to murder the next victim and dump her in the same area where baby doe was dumped. Like, what on earth is going on? It's very, very confusing. And if I can be very frank with you guys, I'm not seeing a whole lot of rhyme or reason to this killer's activities or behaviors. Now, in 2003, the Long Island serial killer would strike again and murder Jessica Taylor. She was also mutilated, and her tattoo that said Remy's Angel was cut up, and then she was dismembered as well. Absolutely horrific crimes would happen to these women. But that becomes the conclusion of what is known as the Manorville Butcher Years. In the confirmed cases, there's one more possible victim of either the Manorville Butcher or the Long Island serial killer or both, and that is Cherries Jane Doe, who was murdered in 2007. Cherries was mutilated, and she also had a tattoo of a, of a pair of cherries on her left breast. Peaches Jane Doe had a tattoo of peach on her breast, and I think that that is just so similar, even though those crimes took place 10 years apart, 97 to 2007. And then the body of Cherries Jane Doe was put into a suitcase, so there are a few differences. But also, in 2007, the Long Island serial killer would change the pattern, change the method, change everything about the way in which the crimes were committed, and would target Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who was from Connecticut but was working in New York as a sex worker the way that most of the victims did. And Maureen Brainerd Barnes normally saw people in a motel, but for some reason she decided to go out on and visit a client at a different location, and she was never seen alive again. Maureen Brainerd Barnes was the first victim of the Gilgo Four. She was strangled, and her body was placed in somewhat of the brush-like area on the north side of the Ocean Parkway, near uh, Gilgo Beach, hence the name Gilgo Four. In 2009, the Long Island serial killer would strike again, this time going after Melissa Bartolome. Again, she is not mutilated, but she is strangled, and her body is dumped fairly close to where Ma Maureen Brainerd Barnes was dumped. And it really, the Gilgo Four will all be found in somewhat of a close-by area. But in 2010, the Long Island serial killer would go after Megan Waterman, and then the final victim, also murdered in 2010, was Amber Lynn Costello, whom I'll be discussing today. You see, that's something else that is also very troublesome about this particular case. Normally it seems like there is one victim a year, one in 96 and one in 97, or perhaps one in 2007 and then 2009, but it really doesn't seem like any of the numbers are consistent at all, because in June of 2010, Megan Waterman is murdered, and in September of 2010, Amber Lynn Costello is murdered. And, I mean, we're talking about just a few months apart. Now, it's possible, possible that this has happened before with the case of Cherries Jane Doe and Maureen Brainerd Barnes, that those are, they were murdered just a few months apart. Why? Not completely sure. However, it just doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. It could be that these are the only times that this person has opportunities to commit these crimes. It could also be that this person is a seasonal worker who's not on Long Island, all of the year, or maybe even years in between, such as Jessica Taylor being murdered in 2003, 
Valerie Mack before her was murdered in 2000. P Cherry's Jane Doe, excuse me, was murdered in 2007. And this person could have also gone to jail for a period of time. We really don't know. But like all of the previous episodes on this Long Island serial killer series, I would like to go over to gilgocase.com and read the entry on Amberlynn Costello. And I really do appreciate this website and all of their posting. Amberlynn Costello was 27 years old. She was last seen by her roommate on September 2nd of 2010 at her home in North Babylon, New York. She went out to meet a client. This particular client had called three or four times and offered Amber $1,500 for her services. Police discovered Amberlynn Costello's body on December 13th, 2010, beside the Ocean Parkway. She had been strangled. And of course, the Ocean Parkway is going by Gilgo Beach. And one of the alternative names for the Long Island serial killer is the Gilgo Beach Killer, as well as the Craigslist Ripper, because this is a serial killer who is preying on escorts, prostitutes, sex workers, people of that particular profession. It's a way to lure people out to areas that does appear to be somewhat of a commonality among the crimes, that they're getting these calls, which more or less have been thought to have come from burner cell phones. Maybe they were doing something different back in 1996, and they, the women are lured to secluded areas, and then the killer is going after them when they are vulnerable. But there is an article in Newsweek that was written in 2011 about the death of Amberlynn Costello, and I would like to read this one. This was written by Christine Pelisek, and it was published on April 17th of 2011. A call from a stranger and a negotiation and an agreed-upon price of $1,500 made it even easier than usual for a heroin user to support herself, to cast aside caution, and to head out into the night. For 27-year-old Amberlynn Costello, who had been working since the age of 17, the offer was much higher than usual, yet in other respects it wasn't that out of the ordinary. But on the evening of September 2nd, 2010, Costello made that date but never came back. For safety reasons, she used the cell phone belonging to her roommate, Dave Schaller, to set up the dates. On this particular evening, Schaller recalls the man making the phone calls to Amber three or four times. She felt comfortable with him, he says. The last call came at 10.30, and moments later she headed out of the modest gray shingled house they had in West Babylon, New York. Amber was wearing a pink hoodie and jeans. Schaller was well aware of the risks that Amber Lynn Costello took, but within the parameters the two had set, he had learned to accept them. An in-call was often preferable to an out-call, as both were typically secured by means of paid ads. Costello placed these ads on Backpage.com. She described herself as a southern belle and showed a petite young woman with green eyes and brown hair. She would buy a new ad every few days, in order to keep herself at the top of the adult services offerings. If it was an out-call or a hotel or a house, Schaller would often drive her out and wait inside his car. More often, clients would come to the house, and he would wait in the next room in case she needed him. Schaller recalls the episodes where men threatened violence and he had to intervene, going as far as to chase several of them out of the house with a baseball bat. Amber was a tiny woman, only four feet inches tall, and barely weighed a hundred pounds. 
And it's important to note that because they believe that that is the preferred height of the Long Island serial killer, that he was going after women, mostly on the shorter side, but around 4 feet 11 inches tall. But Schaller never thought anything like this would ever happen. And Amber also thought that this would never happen to her. She thought that she was indestructible, says Schaller. On the morning of September 3rd, Schaller called Costello's sister, Kimberly. Amber hadn't returned yet, and he said he was worried, and she told him not to worry. So he waited. When people lived in such precarious circumstances, they suddenly disappear, and they are not necessarily the immediate priority for the authorities. Oh, to provide a little bit of clarity about that, as you already know, Amber Lynn Costello was working as a sex worker, but she was also addicted to heroin, and she had gotten out of rehab, but shortly before her abduction, she had relapsed and she was back on heroin again. So she was battling addiction, I think is perhaps the best way to put it. And the reason why her sister isn't showing that concern is she thought that it was going to be futile. She thought that it would be purely impractical to try and bring law enforcement into it because they weren't going to uh, do anything about it. They were probably just going to dismiss it and say, oh, well, well, she's just a sex worker and she is someone who is addicted to drugs. We have bigger priorities on our list, sadly. And to provide a little bit more clarity about Amber's situation, I'd like to go over to the website Odd Stops, which I had never heard of before, but they have um, a more detailed expose on Amber Lynn Costello than I expected. It's called Odd Stops because it's actually about identifying locations, and it shows a photo of the house that Amber lived in in West Babylon, New York. But it says, This tiny house was where Amber Lynn Costello was last seen. Amber is believed to have been a victim of the Long Island serial killer. On September 2nd, 2010, the 27-year-old received a number of phone calls from a client who was willing to pay more than the normal rate. At around 10.30 p.m., Amber left the small house in West Babylon and was never seen again. Three months later, the remains of Amber and three other victims were discovered at the Long Island serial killer's dump site at Gilgo Beach. The four women had been strangled to death and wrapped in burlap and tossed into the thicket beside the Ocean Parkway. At the same time of her disappearance, Amber was living at this house with her roommate Dave Schaller. Both Amber and Dave were heroin addicts. That day, Costello used her roommate's phone to negotiate a price with a client. According to Dave, she seemed to be familiar with the man, so much, in fact, that she was willing to drop all of the normal precautions. This opens up the possibility that the list may have been available or may have availed her services in the past. Notably, this man did not want to park outside of the house, nor did he want her to bring a phone or a purse. During one of their conversations, the killer told Amber that she could use his phone. I mean... Even if she's been with him a few times, doesn't that sound just extremely threatening? I mean, what kind of excuse would he be making up where he's going to tell her not to bring a phone or a purse? I mean, doesn't that just sound extremely dangerous and this person is up to no good? And I know that she's battling addiction and I know that she needs the money, but I mean, Jesus, that just sounds out of this world. Unfortunately, she had no way of knowing that this man was calling from a disposable burner phone. Amber was desperate for the money because of her drug addiction. As a result, the promise of such an unusually high fee may have been too tempting for her to turn down. Shortly after 10 p.m., 
She exited the house on America Avenue and turned right. According to Dave, the killer's car was just around the corner at the crossroads that is visible from the front porch. By parking at this location, the Lisk was able to hide his vehicle from Amber's roommate and anyone else that might have been in the house. And I think he means that he can see the crossroads, but he can't see where the car is parked because it is out of view. Fearing that something might have happened to her, he raised the alarms and called her sister Kimberly. Unfortunately, Kimberly did not file a missing persons report. In her, her opinion, her sister probably would have gotten, was off getting high with someone else. Because Amber was a drug addict and a sex worker, she did not believe that the police would take her sister's disappearance seriously. Three months later, on December 13th of 2010, investigators uncovered the 27-year-old's body wrapped in burlap at Gilgo Beach. And that is um, something that is just absolutely shocking, because I think that you guys can comprehend why it just seems so inconsistent. Let's look at the Gilgo Four murders. They were all strangled. They were all dumped in a very close proximity to each other. Oh, um, I forget if it was um, 200 feet or 200 yards, but on this, in a very similar stretch of Ocean Parkway in the brush area, at least two of the victims were wrapped in burlap roll, and the burlap was meant to speed up the decomposition process. So I think that people are looking at this and they are wondering, is there a second serial killer going on? Now, when I did the episode on the Long Island serial killer called My Theory, I talked about how this is one of the few times when I was saying, yep, there's one single serial killer. Cherry's Jane Doe is also a confirmed victim. I do not believe that Shannon Gilbert perhaps the most famous person associated with this case, was a victim of the Long Island serial killer. But instead, I think that um, that there really was, just was a single person who chose to switch up from what has been referred to as sloppy dismemberments by the uh, Catch List page to strangulation. The, the killer changed his MO, the killer changed his method. But the more and more I think about it, I'm always open to the possibility that there is some type of group killings going on. And when I say group, I mean an unconnected group. I don't mean anything like the snuff ring. I don't mean anything like the thrill kill club. Perhaps I just should have said a multiple killers theory. And I think that I would just feel absolutely stunned if it turned out that there was some type of serial killer dumping round going on that was used by multiple serial killers, not only the Manorville Butcher and the Long Island serial killer, but instead that there's just more than one person operating. Cherry's Jane Doe could have been killed by somebody else, as well as Valerie Mack could have been murdered by somebody else who murdered Peach's Jane Doe, that there could be multiple serial killers, more than two uh, and just they're using this area because it's in a secluded part of Long Island, and it's the most convenient dumping point. And when you look at the crimes that are occurring in New York City, it does not seem out of the realm of possibility that people would do this. I mean, as the more I've been paying attention to this stuff, you're finding crimes that are murders, where the bodies are dismembered, and it's happening over and over again. And the fact that Shannon Gilbert went missing in 2010, and died nearby, near the Ocean Parkway, in, a, in what I believe was just a tragic accident, shows that people are bringing escorts onto Long Island, and they are trying 
to um, conduct their business with them, and that means that there could be multiple serial killers operating, and I think that a lot of people would just feel absolutely shocked if there was, if it was just that, just a, a multiple killers operation that is unconnected. These serial killers aren't even trying to compete with each other or anything, or have any knowledge of any of what's going on. I mean, if that is the case, the Manorville Butcher would have stopped in 2003, and the Long Island serial killer who strangled the victims would have started in 2007. But the thing that keeps me thinking that this is a single serial killer is that I always want to believe that the authorities know more than what they are leading on and what they are sharing with us. But what do you think? And what do you think happened to Amberlynn Costello? Do you think that the client knew her and that he had seen her multiple times before and that's why she trusted him? Or do you think that um, she was just going after the money and didn't seem bothered by him? But anyway, I would, I would like to go over to the page for Amberlynn Costello that was made at gilgonews.com, and I will have a read right here. Amberlynn Costello was 27 years old and lived at 1112 America Avenue in West Babylon when she was seen by acquaintances leaving. Costello was a heroin addict who lived at the house with another female and two men. And um, as I understand, the other female who was living there was also a um, not only an addict, but also a sex worker, and the two men were responsible for the arranging of the dates. As you heard, this guy Dave Schaller was very much involved with protection. He chased some guys out with a baseball bat. Costello was four feet in ten, four feet eleven inches tall, excuse me, and a sex worker who advertised on Craigslist and Backpage.com to support her and her roommate's heroin addiction. Amberlynn Costello used the names Carolina and Mia, and she had tattoos that said chaos, but spelled K-A-O-S on her neck, and a butterfly on her lower back, and the word Margaret on her leg. Amberlynn Costello had moved to New York from Clearwater, Florida, after she had completed a 28-day drug rehab, but had relapsed not long before her disappearance. And um, she was um, coming from Clearwater, Florida, but I believe she was actually born in North Carolina. Amberlynn Costello and her roommate shared a cell phone. The other female roommate was also a sex worker and supporting a heroin addiction. The two male roommates would arrange the dates, and Costello did in-calls and out-calls as well. When Amberlynn Costello would meet the clients at her home, the two male roommates would often arrange a scam during one which a client had paid money before any sex had occurred, and they would confront the client saying Costello was their girlfriend and the client would flee. Costello was last seen leaving her residence on foot September 2, 2010 to meet a client who was picking her up at the house. Costello did not have a cell phone, and she was not reported missing. Amberlyn Costello was found on December 13, 2010 on the north side of Ocean Parkway during the search for Shannon Gilbert. She is believed to have been the fourth victim of the Gilgo Four. Now, even though you're hearing that there are some types of scams that are running, and they're trying to scare somebody off and ripping off the person's money, I do not believe that that would have been a motivation for Amberlynn Costello's murder, based on the similarities among the crimes that have been committed by the Gilgo Four, or the, the crimes that have been committed to the Gilgo Four by the Long Island serial killer. It really becomes apparent to me that Amberlynn Costello would have been targeted no matter what. And if anything, this person may have built up some trust because when I did the episode on my theory, I was talking about how maybe this person is making up some type of sad sob story or non-threatening story is perhaps a better way of looking at it than a sob story. And he is saying 
that he is he is some kind of old man who has an oxygen tank and he can barely walk. No, you have to come see me because I can't get out of bed. And, and then she's going to go to his home because he's non-threatening. But somebody wrote into the comment section and wanted to challenge me on that by saying that they thought it was something quite to the contrary. That this person had seen them before, had seen Amber Lynn Costello and the other members of the Gilgo Four before, and they had built up a certain level of trust, not to the point where the um, other people in the house would have known his name, but she had seen him once or twice, so she thought that he was safe and reliable, and then on one of the final times, he ended up murdering her. So it's more about trust and security as opposed to anything else. But we simply do not know, and um, what do you think happened to Amber Lynn Costello, and what do you think happened to the Gilgo Four, and what is your overall take on the Long Island serial killer mystery? And this episode concludes the segments that we've done on the Gilgo Four, talking about Maureen Brainerd Barnes, Melissa Bartolome, Amber Lynn Costello, well, firstly, it's Megan Waterman, and then Amber Lynn Costello, and of course, Shannon Gilbert's death happens, oddly, in between the Gilgo Four murders after the first two and before the second two. But as I've said very clearly, I do not believe she was a victim of the list. You can weigh in anything you would like to say. Anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. You can also get me on Instagram, blackboxnid88, as well as my personal Facebook, which is in the description box. But I will see you over there on Instagram for the bonus podcast. Until next time.